Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way He asked His disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered Him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered Him, You are the Messiah. And He sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about Him. Then He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. But turning and looking at His disciples, He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind Me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If any want to become My followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for My sake and for the sake of the Gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So as we read through a lectionary cycle, which is an annual cycle of readings, this year the Gospel is Mark primarily. We've already touched on this lection two other times. Portions of this same passage have been the appointed readings. Clearly those who are selecting Gospel passages that are important for us to know and hear believe this is one of the critical passages if we are going to understand the Gospel. And it's not only repeated in the lectionary. Jesus shares this teaching about what it means for Him to take on the title of Messiah or Christ. Not once, not twice, but three different times in the Gospel as Mark tells the story. It's important for us to grasp what Jesus is talking about. It is one of those passages so challenging that we have to hear it more than once if we're ever going to hope to understand it or more importantly, to internalize it. It is one thing to hear someone read about sacrifice or to hear Jesus saying that He is going to sacrifice. It's something altogether different for one of us to say we're going to follow Him. To say we're willing to sacrifice. We are willing to endure suffering on behalf of our faith, on behalf of love of God and love of neighbor. Jesus introduces the topic in the reading today with two questions. The first one, much easier. He says to the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And several of them give answers. The second question is harder and more pointed. 
Who do you say that I am? And at that point, there's only one answer. Peter answers, you are the Messiah. All the other disciples seem to get very quiet. Nobody else seems to be ready to speak. It made me think of times when I've been in church meetings and all the business of the meeting is completed and I sometimes say, is there anybody here who would like to close us in prayer? It gets very quiet. Lots of people look down at that point. Most of us don't like to speak in public. We don't like to pray in public either. We don't like to be put on the spot to speak about our faith. It can be a very challenging thing to do. Perhaps the disciples are feeling that way in our story when Jesus asks them, Who do you say that I am? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing with the program staff that I'm going to have a 36 days of prayer booklet that we can use during our stewardship campaign this year. I'll start it next week during the State of the Church Address that we'll do during the 9.30 hour over in Jubilee. Everyone's invited. That'll be prayer day one. And then we'll have 36 days of prayer as we go through October and think about Boston Avenue and our role in it and the future of the church and where we are going. But I shared with the program staff that I was going to be doing this and I said, if any of you would like to write prayers, I'd like to have them in a week. Next week, I checked with Belinda Clanton, my assistant, and I said, how many prayers do we have? <laughs> Zero. No one had turned a prayer in yet. But she said, you know, I've been working on mine, and it's harder than I thought. It's difficult. You said we only had five or six sentences. It's, it's difficult to put what I'm wanting to express and write it like that in five or six sentences. Then just a couple of hours later, I saw another staff person. They said basically the same thing. Oh, I'm working on the prayer, but it's harder than I thought. And of course, I know part of it is some of them are not used to writing a prayer for public consumption. And they know just as well as I do is that when you begin to speak of your faith or put something in writing, there are others in the church who are quick to critique you, to criticize your faith or the way you expressed it. Even in the body of Christ, where we're told to be encouragers of one another, there are some of us who are quicker to judge than to encourage. And it makes it hard to speak of one's faith. And maybe the disciples have that feeling as well when Jesus says to them, Who do you say that I am? It takes some courage to speak of faith, to say what I believe and to say it out loud. It makes one vulnerable to attack by others. And yet Peter, who often acts as the leader of these twelve disciples who are following Jesus, decides that he can speak up, that he can speak to this, that he has the answer. And he says, you are the Messiah. 
And it is the right answer. But we learn just a couple of verses later, he doesn't understand what he has said. He has the wrong interpretation for he rebukes Jesus for saying that Jesus' path is going to include suffering and death. And Jesus has him stop. Because he knows. He doesn't understand yet. I think Jesus anticipated that these twelve and others would not understand what it means for Him to take on the title of Messiah or Christ, the Anointed One of God. We hear His concern in our reading today for right after Peter declares, You are the Messiah. Mark records in verse 31, in verse 30, and He sternly ordered them not to tell anyone. Not to tell anyone anyone about Him. And then verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. A startling pronouncement of where Jesus believes His path is going to take Him. He says He must undergo great suffering. He's going to be rejected and killed. This passage not only tells us who Jesus is, but what His path looks like and where He believes God is leading Him, where He believes God is taking Him in terms of what it means to be Messiah or Christ. It's a path that involves suffering and sacrifice and possibly even death. And yet, this path, Jesus says, leads to life, to resurrection, that this is the way to fullness of life. This is the way to experience all that God intends for each of us. But it's interesting, and I want us to notice that Jesus says, as He accepts this title, that He must do this. But then just a few verses later, when He calls the crowd together, He says, if any want to, if any want to be My follower, let them come. It's not so much a command as an invitation. See if you can hear it. It's in verse 34 as Mark writes, Jesus called the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If any want to become My followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. It's an invitation to be a follower of Christ. It's not a command. You don't have to. You're not commanded. You're invited to come and follow if you want to know the fullness of life that God intends. It is a challenging invitation, but one about which we must make a decision. Sometimes it's hard to decide to follow. And yet you are invited to follow Him so that you might find new life that you might find a life bigger than yourself. 
And Jesus says the way to do that is the way of denying self. It's letting go of the ego. It's letting go of self and the rights and the privileges that you think you deserve. It's a willingness to give one's life and energy and talent to God. And to say to God, use me as you will. Lead me where you will. Employ me as you will. I am ready to be a faithful follower. Come what may. I had a friend in another church where I was pastoring who was a very earnest Christian. She was serious about her faith. She knew the Scriptures. She lived a life of service. And yet she struggled with this idea of giving her whole self to God or surrendering her whole life to God, wondering if that might lead her to a place she did not want to go. We had several discussions about it. And then she came to me one day and said, I've found a book that I've been reading that's really helped. And she gave me a copy. It was by a guy, a guy named Francois Fainalone. He wrote in the 1600s in France. He was an archbishop of the church. We have this collection of letters that he wrote to people that were living in the court of King Louis XIV. And yet we're trying to live as Christians, but we're struggling a good deal and suffering and trying to understand where God was leading them and what God wanted them to do. We have the correspondence from Fainalone's side where he's talking to them and writing to them about this idea of self-denial and sacrifice as they struggle with it. It amazes me that he's writing hundreds of years ago, and yet when I read it, it seems very relevant to today. I want to read you just a few of the letters he wrote to them. One letter is entitled, Surrender is not a heroic sacrifice, but a simple sinking into the will of God. It goes like this. He says, we tend to think of surrender as that great thing we do when we want to show God how much we love Him and how heroically we are willing to sacrifice everything. But a true surrender to God has nothing to do with such flattering descriptions as that. Let me tell you what real surrender is. It is simply resting in the love of God as a little baby rests in its mother's arms. Or this comes from another one of his letters. He writes, When it comes to accomplishing things for God, you will find that high aspirations, enthusiastic feelings, careful planning, and being able to express yourself well are not worth very much. Well, that's kind of mean to say to a preacher. <laughs> he goes on to say the important thing is absolute surrender to God. Living in this blessed way involves a continual death which is known to very few. But it is in this position that you can be really effective for God. On the other hand, 
If the old self gets its way, we end up talking forever. We discuss a thousand different possibilities. We are constantly afraid of not saying or doing enough. We get angry, excited, exhausted, distracted, and finally make no headway at all. Then he's writing to this person. He gets so personal. He says, I am saying this because I have noticed a tendency in you to talk about problems rather than abandoning yourself to God and leaving your problems with Him. And you will be better off, both physically and spiritually, when you quietly place everything in God's hands. Then he ends that particular letter with these wise words. Do not allow yourself to be troubled and perplexed when you see people being unreasonable and unjust. Rest in the peace of the bosom of God. Be content to do whatever you feel you should quietly and gently. And don't worry about anything else. Just one more. This one's only ten sentences long. The whole letter, it's entitled, The True Source of Peace is in the Surrender of the Will. He writes, Live in continued peace. But understand that peace does not depend upon the fervor of your devotion. The only thing you need to be concerned about is the direction of your will. Give that up to God without reservation. The important question is not how religious you are or how devoted, but rather is your will in harmony with God's. Humbly confess your faults. Learn to be detached from the things of the world and completely abandoned to God. Love God more than yourself and God's glory more than your life. The least you can do is to desire and ask for such a love. God will then pour out upon you that special love which only His children know and He will give you His peace. I think Thane alone understood and gives us a broader understanding of this whole idea of surrendering oneself to God, of denying oneself on behalf of one's desire to follow Christ. So often I think when we read this passage, there's a little too much focus on Peter's declaration that you are the Messiah, but the focus tends to be on the you are and the identity of Christ. And we kind of miss the work of God through Christ. And I think the second half points to that when he says you are the Messiah or you, you are the Christ. It's that part, when we use that title, you remember that means anointed one of God that points us back to the work of God through Christ and into the world. That part points us to the power and the love of God at work in our lives. It's the power of God that makes all the difference. Jesus makes it clear to Peter when He says, you're too focused on human things. You should be focusing on divine things. 
If you want to know the way to life, focus on the spiritual things or the divine things. In other words, focus on God and what God is doing in the world and in your life. And you will find the way to true life. But to surrender yourself, to surrender the things which are familiar and comfortable, to surrender control. For some of us, it's even hard to say that or hear that, that we would, that we would surrender control of our lives because we're trying to control every little bit of it. But that is a critical part of the Gospel. So to deny yourself and follow Jesus is to give up control of our life to God's will. Now, the obstacles fall in different places for different ones of us. For some of us, we do real well in some areas, but when it comes to our finances or our money, we're going to keep that to ourselves. We are not ready to risk saying, God, I would give this all to you. Just show me the way. Show me what you want me to do, and I'm ready to do it. We want to hang on to control of that part of our life. Or for others of us, it's relationships. We're trying to control all of our relationships and control the people with whom we are in relationship. And often that moves into unhealthy behavior and manipulation and dishonesty as we're trying to run things in our lives and control everyone around us. So it's a struggle for us to say, God, I give all that to You. I'll let you control all of this. For others, it's not that so much. It's a wound that we're carrying, a, a time that we've been wounded or hurt or broken, and we kind of hang on to that for years and years and years, and we'll never give that to God. And so it continues to be a burden to us. Or in some cases, we've tried to give that to God, and it just seems to be clinging to us and we can't get rid of it. Even though we're trying to let go, we're struggling and we're wondering, why doesn't God take care of this? Where is God in all of this? And so at that point, it can be really difficult to say, I give it to you, God. I'll let you take care of this. I really think... But actually, we cannot give all of ourselves to God without God's grace empowering and enabling us to do that. We all stand in the need of God's grace and help. The question is, do I want more control or do I want God to have more control? Or to use a phrase from Paul, do I want just me or do I want Christ in me? It really makes a difference which way you decide to go. To follow Jesus. We have to decide to trust God. We have to decide that we can count on God, that God really is trustworthy, and that God will be with us through it all. It's a decision of faith, empowered by God's Holy Spirit in our lives. 
was talking to a friend recently. She was saying, you know, I feel like I'm right on the edge, like I'm just right on the edge of the cliff and I might go over at any time. And she said, that's really scary. And then she said, but you know, when I remember that God's leading me, then even if I go over the edge... That would be great because I would experience more of God and I would have to trust God more and I would get to experience all that God wants for me. And I thought, what a beautiful testimony of faith. May it be so for all of us. Amen.